Coming up on today's show. And it, I stepped in mud once. That's how dry it was there as well. Geese landing all over the place and spinning around. So it was uh, it was a pretty fun morning out there, Jason. That was a neat experience. I, bottom line, I was real encouraged for what I've seen for, for rough grouse thus far. Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I I knew you were going to go there. I'm going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Today's show is brought to you by Haybale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Tazan Lake Lodge in northwest Saskatchewan. For Trophy Lake Trout Northern Pike, go to tazanlake.com. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, welcome to the show. We're talking birds this week here as uh, the, all, the, all the hunting seasons are starting to open up. And one big one that's, that's, uh, that I enjoy and that many, many hunters around the region enjoy is coming up next weekend, and that's the pheasant opener. So we're going to talk pheasants. We're going to talk rough grouse. We're going to talk sharp-tail grouse. And we'll talk a little waterfowl, too, since we had a couple of pretty good hunts with one of our guests here this week. And our guests here this week are uh, a couple of guys, uh, Tom Carpenter, editor at Pheasants Forever. Tom, how you doing? Good, doing good. Welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for being on the show. And Jason Markla from Bank Brewing. Uh, Jason, how's it going? Awesome, man. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I just talked to you, or we just, just spent two days together. Didn't we? <laughs> That's right. We did some, we did some hunting. Now, normally we come down to that, to that where your brewery is down by Hendricks down there, and we do uh, a lot of pheasant hunting. Of course, the pheasant season hasn't opened yet, but. Um, you were in town and I said, Hey, let's, let's try to target some geese a little bit. And Jason, two things happened. Let's, let's three things happened this morning that I thought were pretty cool while we were hunting geese. So, uh, you had to do some work last night. I drove around last night, found a field loaded with, with, uh, honkers, 200, 250 geese in it, a fresh cut, uh, cornfield, talked to the landowner. He said, yep, shoot them all. Like most of the farmers say. Uh, so we got out there before sunrise, set up some decoys, climbed into a layup line, stuffed as much corn trash into the stubble straps on those things as possible. Then the second flock comes, and I'm, I'm shooting a, a single shot because I'm old school, Tom. I, I like to give the birds a chance, so, so I go out there with a single shot. Well, actually, it's a, full, it's a semi-auto that just needs to be cleaned, so it only, <laughs> I can only get one shot off mostly but second flock comes i get one shot off and nothing falls and i see some birds falling though and i look over at jason and what did you tell me jason i may have shot three <laughs> just tripled <laughs> he says so so here we are I just, I, that's how many shells i had in the gun so i figured i better you know make it worth our while absolutely but then, Mister One Shot Wonder. Hey, I like to give I like to give the birds a sporting chance. So I we understand. we were down to to one goose, Tom, and uh, the mother load of geese came off the the roost and came over to our cornfield to feed, and it was just madness. And I said, Jason, let's just sit back and enjoy the show. And we had geese coming all over the place. I thought one was going to land on Jason's blind at one point. 
And that's not exactly how it went. There was one mallard I wanted to shoot. You said, no, 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 I got to film this. I was filming the whole thing. And there was one, one Drake mallard. So I was like, all right, what I was trying to do was that mallard just wanted in real bad. And it just kept coming right over both of our blinds. I mean, just was, it was just begging us to, to shoot it. And I, we had one goose left and every goose that was going to come to that field was there and either working us or standing in the decoys. So I was, I was trying to figure out while I'm filming this, how we could, how we could coordinate Jason shooting that mallard and me shooting one more goose, um, to, to kind of cap it all off. And it just never happened. Just every time the mallard came, there were no geese to shoot and then the geese would come and the mallard would, yeah. So but, uh, but yeah, we ended up getting our one, one goose and we had, I don't know, a hundred geese kind of walking around in the decoys in front of us and, and geese landing all over the place and spinning around. So it was, uh, it was a pretty fun morning out there, Jason. That was a neat experience. I, you know, I'm not a goose hunter, obviously I'm more of a gentleman and I like to hunt at 10, you know, <laughs> not at 5 a.m. But anyways, it was a good offer and I, you did an awesome job. You put us on a lot of birds and I was super stoked and. I'm, you know, to start shooting geese now, I'm kind of addicted. It's, it's a lot of fun. And we, we had a slew, Tom, we had a slew scouted out that, that had a, a number of ducks on it. We've hunted in the past and it's kind of a deeper slew in normal years. It's probably pretty low this year, but we were going to go hunt that. And I knew I had my leaky waders in the back of the truck. And I was like, gosh, do I want to go walk out? into a slough that's potentially over my waders where the decoys have to go. So a lot of times when we hunt this slough, the decoys end up having to stay closer to us than I'd prefer just because it gets too deep. I'm going to, I'm going to have water pouring into my waders all morning. And, uh, it's, you know, nearly 20 mile an hour winds. It's going to be a mess. Or we could go lay in a dry field, drive right out there, whip the stuff out of the truck and trailer and just lay down in a dry field and let the birds come to us. It was not a tough decision. <laughs> but uh, I, I know for I know for a fact that after this podcast is over, there's going to be a GoFundMe page for Brett. He's going to need a new, new gun and some new waiters. <laughs> That's that was my thought exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I use this stuff, man. It gets uh, things get beat up. Yeah, I'm just hey. I, that's it's still it still works. I still make it work one way or another. Yeah. But um, we and we hunted the day before, and we we shot. We ended up shooting one goose. We ended up missing a lot of geese. We ended up Jason shot a goose, and then uh, we decided this was kind of a cool deal. We went for lunch uh, out to Jason's property to check some trail cameras, and he's got some some property along a lake, and we're like, hey got a couple hours left and there's some ducks buzzing around the lake let's just kind of hang out and see what's going on throughout we threw 11 decoys out in front of us oh, giant spread mega spread 11 decoys and and yeah. jason's like where are you gonna hide the truck i drove the truck about 30 yards away and parked it and then we went and sat and before we could even hide along the shoreline there were ducks bo- uh, bombing the decoys so we sat there for a couple hours and shot some teal and some wood ducks, uh, o- you know, over the lunch break just for fun. And uh, and then scouted out that field that we, we shot today. So it was a fun couple of days of duck hunting. But I'll tell you what, especially after seeing the pictures you posted on Facebook recently, Tom, uh, I'm ready to do some upland bird hunting. And uh, next weekend, I got to tell you guys, if, if the numbers, I mean, 
we've been seeing pheasants all over the place. It was a it was a good winter. There were good numbers at the end of winter last year. It was a good spring. I knew numbers were going to be up, but my gosh, when the when Tom, when you saw that number, one hundred and forty six percent up in Southwest Minnesota, like even if that's true, even if that's what their data said, I'm surprised that they still said it was up one hundred and forty six percent because that's like okay, like that's good numbers, but really, I mean, I think the, people are going to see a lot of pheasants out there this year. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. That's that's what I'm hearing. All the intel I'm getting, and you guys probably have as good of intel as anybody running around the western tier of counties. Um, but but the time I've spent driving through there, and the things I've heard are are very are very good. And you know, you got it. The, the temper on 146 percent is, you know, we are coming back from some lows. Sure. Um, but still, they're getting back to to a better average, uh, perhaps where we should be. Um, and, and it's definitely good news. And I think, like you said, um, you know, personally, I got a lot of worry. I had a lot of worry last winter, but we, we can never really underestimate how tough those pheasants are and, and how well they come through. And the fact that they had some really good res- residual cover on the landscape from all the rain last year that, that produced a really good nesting season. And not only that, but a good brood rearing season too. We, it's, it's almost like we had, we had August and June and June and August. You know, we had nice, warm, not too wet in June. Got a little more rain in August in some areas of the state. I know some are very dry. But all in all, very good conditions for brood rearing, for rearing broods of pheasants. And we all know that that's the name of the game. You know, uh, 90% of the roosters we shoot every year are this year's hatch, believe it or not. You know, and uh, so I think it, Western Minnesota, all of Minnesota is, is going to have a good year this year. Is, is there going to be a pheasant behind every cattail? No. If you're willing to hunt, are you going to find some birds? Yes. Well, you want to talk about dry conditions. Jason's got a pond and I'll show the picture here of Jason standing next to his pond. Jason, how much do you think that pond is down? And this would be the time Jason's signal would freeze up, of course. <laughs> we just lost him there. But it, uh, oh, he's back. How, how much do you think six, that pond is down, Jason? Six feet. So, and how long does that pond stretch normally? Well, it's got to be, I don't know, it's, I think it's three acres. So, what is that? Well, three acres and how much water is left in it, just the very deepest part on one end of it. I would say a size of a pool. Yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. Like a backyard pool. Yeah. I, I know my, my most recent grouse and woodcock hunt was up in Pine County uh, uh, about 10 days ago. And it, I always wear rubber boots because it's like half of it is usually slogging in, in, in water, you know, in a marsh or across a slough. And it, I stepped in mud once. That's how dry it was there as well. You know, September got really dry. And um, it, I think it's from the sound of it, you guys, Western Minnesota, me and Pine County, it's, it's dry everywhere. We need some rain for sure. I know the farmers don't it's, like hearing it's, that. It's making up. What's that, Jason? Well, I was just going to say, I think that dry weather is going to help with the crop removal, and that's going to just benefit the pheasant opener. I think it's going to be epic. Well, that was the next thing I was going to bring up because 
I'm going to show you guys this picture here real quick. This is Jason's slough right here and uh, what's left of it. So you can see there's Jason standing down there. And Scout, Scout's on point. <laughs> or something. Is that what she's doing? <laughs> but that's normally how big that slough is. And uh, this is all that's left of it right now. So we are real, real dry. And the other factor that you have to take into account. I mean, usually when you talk about early season fe pheasant hunting, Tom, is you're like, well, you know, it's pretty good. And there's a lot of pressure because everybody's out there. Everybody's anxious to go out for the opener. But normally you say, yeah, the, all the crops are still standing. So when the crops come out, it's almost like a second opener. Well, a lot of crops are going to be out for the opener next weekend. Yeah, I, I, I saw, as I was coming through both Dakotas, uh, within the last five days, I saw almost all the beans were coming off. They weren't working any corn there yet. Um, I did see a little bit of corn coming off, coming down the 94 corridor. Um, so, but you guys probably have better intel on what you're seeing uh, to the south as far as corn coming off. A lot of corn's coming off. In fact, uh, I know a couple of farmers right here where I'm at in western Minnesota where they're, they're, they are done with beans. They're starting corn uh, today or yesterday in the last couple of days. And that farmer whose land, who let us hunt on their land today, thank you very much, uh, his beans were actually too wet, so he did all his corn first. He had actually pulled a lot of corn out already and is about to start on his beans. So there, and I've talked to a, a couple of people who say by, you know, the opener by the 10th of October, you're going to see a lot of corn off and a lot of beans off. I think it's going to be an absolute, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a slaughter <laughs> for lack of a better term. There are going to be a lot of pheasants that are going to be, okay, how about this? There's going to be a lot of pheasants harvested on the opener this year because of, uh, higher numbers, higher hunter numbers, and uh, and crops coming out. And not just that, Tom, but what do you think with with COVID going on? I mean, we saw the increase in fishing participation. I think there's going to be a lot of pheasant hunters out there this fall. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, we saw it with spring turkey hunting, and, and whether it's people at home, uh, it's people be, being cooped up and wanting to get out. And, you know, we talk about those three R's, recruit, react, recruit, retain, and reactivate. COVID's helping us reactivate some hunters who otherwise might think life is too busy. I can't go hunting. And I think it's going it's, it's gonna to help license sales. I don't have any current data from DNR, but I know that it, it did affect spring turkey in a big way. Um, especially early on, and I know it affect, it's affecting fishing. I, I have to think it's going to do the same thing uh, for things like waterfowl stamps and licenses and also up, regular upland hunting, and, and especially uh, like grouse hunting too, which is even more of a anybody-can-do-it game. You're not, as, you're not as limited if you don't have a dog for like grouse hunting. So I, I think you're right, Brett. I think all the way across the board, it, it's, there's going to be more licenses sold this year. I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen opening weekend because I, th I think a lot of pheasants are going to get shot. And, hey, if that, if that gets more interest in, in pheasant hunting, too, and conservation, great. Uh, I, I'm all for it. And, you know, I've made the joke many times that it's too bad it took a, a world pandemic to get more participation in the outdoor world. But, but here we are. And what do you think, when you talk about the three R's, uh, uh, you know, recruitment and, and reactivation, but what about retention? How many of these people – 
you know, that are going to get into it this year, what, what can we do to kind of retain those people in years to come? Well, I think the first thing is show them some success, you know, get them in the good habitat, which is what Pheasants Forever is all about, habitat, mm-hmm. public lands, and access. I mean, study after study shows what, what are the limiting factors, what, why aren't people hunting? Well, urbanization, yeah, we're all migrating in from the rural areas, uh, living in suburbs and urban areas, and it's hard to get out hunting, and then I don't have a place to go. Well, that's what public lands are all about, and that's what organizations like Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited are about, is is creating those public lands, and for people to know that, wow, these public lands are out there, they're mine to use, and... Um, I was just out in Dakota, in both North Dakota and South Dakota, on different trips uh, for sharpdale hunting excursions. And it's, in, you know, you talk about western Minnesota and our 30,000 acres of walk-in hunting lands, private lands leased for public hunting. You talk about our, our million or so acres of wildlife management areas in the pheasant range, many of which I will add are there thanks to Pheasants Forever, DNR, and other partnerships, the Lassard Sands Legacy Funds, the Outdoor Heritage Funds. Your tax dollars, we in Minnesota care about public lands, and they're out there, and we have them. In the Dakota, similarly, similarly, I was in a place where I had over 120,000 acres of public land, chiefly national grasslands, you could hunt a lifetime out there and never cover it all. And I think to bring it back, that's that's the key to all three of those R's to recruit, retain, and reactivate is you have places to hunt and it's public lands. And, you know, maybe, maybe everybody has a contact or two. Yeah, you can get on some private land, but public land is the name of the game. There, there are places to hunt. Yeah, I... I shot majority of my pheasants on public land last year. And you, sometimes you have to put a little bit more work into it, maybe spend a little bit more time out there. But the opportunities are there. The birds are there. They might be a little bit smarter, a little bit tougher to hunt, but they're they're out there. And uh, without that public land, uh, my meals would not have been as good last fall for sure. And uh, I'm looking forward to a, a good fall this year. You brought up Sharpies. I want to talk Sharpies a little bit, Tom, because when I was up in uh, Thief River Falls, um, we were driving around crane hunting and shooting some Canada geese with Corey Loeffler up there. And we, we were seeing all kinds of Sharpies along the road up there. And, and I, I know numbers for Minnesota, numbers are decent up in that northwest corner. The, the east central zone is a, a, a little bit of a different story. A lot of habitat has disappeared over there. They're working hard to try to reverse that. And that season, by the way, for, for people that want to get out and hunt, the uh, Sharpie season is open in the northwest zone. And then the east central zone has different dates. Uh, that opens up next weekend with the pheasant opener, October 10th. Um, you were out in the Dakotas. How were sharptail numbers out there? Real good. I mean, the, the um, and we'll get back into some more pheasants out there. We want to do a lot of Minnesota pheasants, but the conditions that grow grow pheasants also grow sharptails, and that's good residual grass, not too much rain, but enough to produce bugs and uh, enough to have good grass coming up. The same thing happened in the Dakotas and in. Later, we might talk about Dakota pheasants, but 
the things that are good for any upland bir prairie birds are good for all of them. So I think hashes were real good uh, in both North Dakota and South Dakota. Of course, that's that's one hunter with one little 29 and a half pound dog, but it's it, I've got barometers back to other years. And, and another barometer I have is in, in each place, and it was separate trips, about five days in North Dakota, and then five days in South Dakota, separated by about a week or so. And more young birds than mature birds. And you can tell pretty well with sharp tails, and uh, just by their sheer size, and maturity, and the, the color of their breast meat. And the majority of the birds were young birds, were immatures. And that indicates a good hatch. And just, just numbers of birds seen in cubbies uh, was really strong. And that's, you know, central North Dakota into western South Dakota. You know, that's a that's a pretty broad, a pretty broad base of land, you know. So and and I think we had the same in northwestern Minnesota, you know, based on what you saw up there for for sharp tails when you were hunting hunting other game. I saw Matt Soberg shot uh, Minnesota um Prairie, prairie chicken the other day. Congratulations, Matt. Did you see much for chickens out there in South Dakota? I was not in a chicken area. Mm. The, the chickens are a fairly centralized, and I, and I mean that sort of literally and figuratively, that just that center. Centers, uh, if you draw a circle around pretty much Chamberlain and maybe it goes out 100 to 200 miles, that's sort of the chicken zone up to Fort, Fort Pier and that. I was not in that area, so I was in pretty much pure sharp tail areas. I was in the type of place where you see mule deer and pronghorns and not white tails and pheasants. So uh, not little to no chance for chickens up there. Um, so, but it, it's cool. Matt got a chicken up in Minnesota. That That's a neat hunt. It's up in that, uh, you know, up in the south of the sharp tail zone for the most part but that that glacial lake agassiz beach up there the east side of the red river valley uh, it's a pretty neat hunt i've i haven't drawn for put a chicken hunt for three years now and i'm getting, i'm sort of chomping it to get bit to get yeah. back at it I've, I've applied every year since it started in 2003 and, and it's a fun hunt and and the cool thing there is there's a lot of talk about public land there's a lot of public places to do it too yeah tons of acres and a lot of it is uh believe it or not pheasants forever does a lot for those public lands as well but many of them in conjunction with a great organization the minnesota prairie chicken society mm -hmm. uh there's nature conservancy helping um there's a lot of good public lands up there too so uh not to get everybody up there hunting prairie chickens but <laughs> if you want you know it's a cool thing to do you know and, and Minnesota does have them, so no, I, I was all I was all sharp tails in those states, and they're all my, they're all they're one of my favorites. Sharpies are fun, but they laugh at me way too much. Cause I, cause yep, I, they always laugh. Because <laughs> I usually miss that chicken deal is a lot of fun. We actually filmed a I think it was a Northland Outdoors episode with Brian Winter up there, and um, I I drew a tag and we hunted on public land and uh, shot. Not, not only we shoot our four birds in about two hours, but I missed a, a fair amount of chickens. We saw quite a few that morning. So it was uh, yep. it, it was just neat to, to shoot a prairie chicken in Minnesota. So it's, yep. a, it's a pretty cool experience to do yep. that. Um, Jason, you got big plans for the opener? Well, I mean, I got the same crew comes every year. You know, we go out to the brewery and uh, 
we always start on public land. Um, we've got a huge influx of walk-in areas as well. So there's a couple of those that we really like. And we're seeing birds, so I'm super excited. And then with these crops coming out, that just is like, it's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, we we saw, well, we didn't flush any any birds off your property when we were going through there, but it was also like, a, like hurricane force winds. So I'm assuming they were all just running around in front of us. But when we drove by it that first night, how many did we see along the side of the road there? I don't know. That first batch was probably 12. The At second least. second batch, maybe half that. Yeah. I mean, there was quite a few right there. And those are going to end up in my grass. So Yeah, that's Yeehaw. right. That's right. It's going to be... It's going to be a good fall. I'm excited about it. Um, Tom, when you were in South Dakota, how how were the conditions there as far as uh, wetness or dry conditions there? It was dry. I was in far northwestern South Dakota, so not, not a good barometer or comparison to more of the pheasant range. There are some pheasants out there, um, but it was dry. Every st- a stock tank is a, essentially a dammed up gully that, that should have a pond in it for cattle all this all, all the lands i were hunting were, were national grasslands and they're grazed that's how they manage them and cow, cows are a, a good friend of upland game birds when used when used right they are out there and um though most of the stock tanks were just bone dry and it's sort of funny because it does get hot out there when you're sharp tail hunting you know what a, a few of the days i was out in south dakota especially um I don't necessarily love hunting at the crack of dawn for upland birds because they're busy doing other things. And sharp tails are busy standing up in high spots, watching you coming and laughing, <laughs> yeah. flying away when you get about a half mile from them. And um, you, but you have to quit. You have to quit by noon. Oh, uh, because it gets so hot. Oh, not, gotcha. not, there are no rules, but your dog is just out of steam and it's too hot. And my barometer is we get to the point where we're sitting. And with her sitting in the shade of my body, as much as we are hunting, it's time to quit. Wow. Um, but those stock tanks help because you throw your dog in a pond and you can buy an extra 20 minutes every time you run across a stock tank. But they are there. It's so, bottom line, it's dry out there this mm. year, especially in the West. And it wasn't all year, but that, that September got really dry. I used to hunt Western North Dakota a lot, and I would see sharp tails in trees uh, quite a bit. And all of a sudden, somebody told me one, one time I was going to hunt uh, actually some private land and um, landowner there was like, well, when you go out there, you should see them on the power lines. I said, what? Oh, yeah, they'll sit up on the power lines in the morning. I said, they, they, I'd never heard of sharp tails sitting on power lines before, but sure enough, I drove out there in the morning and the power, it was like doves lined up on a power line, all sharp tail girls yeah. sitting up there. They, they want to be dry when... One of the mornings in South Dakota, uh, my dog and I were, were hunting a big pasture. They call them pastures out there. And um, we went in and we had hunted and it was, it had gotten foggy to thunderstorm the night before. Conditions were perfect, you know, it was a little, little damp, but it, it, had, it had inverted, it, there was an inversion and it was foggy and wet. And we're coming along and, and there's a place that they had tried to farm you know what 100 years ago and there is a big row of rocks just big boulders you know that they had tried to make a field here and you know it's been reverted to pasture for probably 75 years now um but i saw a bird perched on one of these rocks and at first i thought well no self-respecting sharp tail is going to be on standing up on a rock i thought it must be a it must be a meadowlark 
but we sort of angled that way and we didn't take a direct path. And the closer I got, the closer I thought, that's a sharp tail, that's a sharp tail. And we never took that direct path or looked it in the eye. And, and we got about 35, 30 yards from it and just, it had decided it had enough and it took off. And I did get it. And it was, uh, but that was the, uh, just like the, them sitting up on the power lines, it was sitting up on that rock above everything else, looking at what's coming. And, uh, but I told, I told him there's nobody else to tell except my dog. And I said, well, we took that one out of the gene pool. <laughs> Well, you, you mentioned your dog. We should talk about your dog just a little bit because I, I'm not in uh, the smaller dog category, but I did just get a new pup, and her name is Tiny. I was telling you a little bit about her before the show because she is going to be a small lab. She's going to be the greatest. Uh, Mika, shut your cover your ears, Mika. She's going to be the great. <laughs> she's going to be the greatest dog in the history of dogs, other than Mika, of course. Um, but she's going to be a lot of fun. Her parents were smaller labs, and uh, she was the runt of 10, but she just has this giant personality, and I took her out on uh, opening a ducks. I just had her in the truck, and a bunch of us went out, and we shot some birds, we came back to the trucks, and we all, we're all running young dogs this year. It seems like all of us are running. It's going to be an interesting year because we're all running young dogs that need, need some work. And uh, so we all had our dogs in the truck. So we get back to the vehicles and we were letting out dogs and we we're getting our waders off, whatever, and, and packing stuff up. And there was a teal. We shot a green wing teal on opener and Tiny found that teal and she picked it up and started running around, running around the trucks, holding that duck up. I mean, it, she was and she was carrying it, you know, like an older dog that had just retrieved a duck. Like I couldn't believe it. It was like a, just a natural thing. It was uh, it was really fun to watch. So that's great. I'm excited for that. Tell us about your dog though, Tom. Well, my dog is Lark and people who follow Pheasants Forever probably see a little bit of her now mm -hmm. and again. And uh, she's a, she's an Epignol Breton, which is just fancy for French Brittany, <laughs> right. Spaniel of Brittany. And uh, I always describe it as they're, they're the original Brittany's. They're the Brittany's that we sort of brought over and Americanized and they're a little there there's a lot there's a lot of different um, they can be quite different than American Britneys they can have black noses which my dog does black paws which my dog does and they're smaller and the word they use and I just I've learned it since I've become a French Britney pro is cobby they're 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 stocky and uh, you've seen Lark She's, uh, she's probably, I don't even know how tall she is, maybe 13, 14 inches. And she is uh, 29 and a half pounds. And uh, my, I, I had my, my uh, phone clicker step counter on when we were sharp tail hunting. And I, I have the number here. It was, I think, 97,853 steps Jeez. I took over, over five days, which is about, uh, you know, for me, it's probably about, 40 miles 40 i think it was 48 and a half miles so averaging about almost nine eight to nine miles a day nine to ten miles a day over five days and um that means she ran double it so she went 96 probably more she probably went 100 miles a little 29 and a half pound dog wow. and um so she she's a good dog i like to keep her close because i'm a pheasant hunter at heart as we can all imagine and uh you know, pheasants never play by the rules. They don't always sit for point. Sometimes they take off before they are pointed. But out there, I tell you, I, I, it's funny, these little these little French Britneys, and most any dog will do this, they learn how to hunt the cover they're hunting, and they, they, they adjust. 
and I was letting her get out maybe 70, 80, 100 yards out there, which is almost unheard of. But she could see me. I could see her. If she went on point, I had plenty of time to get over to her. And uh, and it's funny, but you know how pheasants will walk and move and evade. Sharptails will do the same thing. We had several what I would call point sequences where we move, we move, she repositioned, pointed five to six times over the course of 70 to 100 yards. Those sharp tails, don't, they, they either fly or they'll walk. They, they don't cooperate. You know, they're wild birds. So uh, that's Lark. And, you know, I'll, I'll have her grouse and woodcock hunting this weekend, and she'll stay within 15 yards of me. Because oh, oh, it's wow. different. Hmm, sure. Yeah. Jason, tell us about Scout and uh, how and, and what, how she's named. Uh, well, so Scout is a uh, wire-haired pointing griff um, uh, that we've just acquired. She's a, well, she's a year and a half now. My first pointing dog, and she's named after a collection of international harvester trucks that I have. And I had almost enough trucks to make my own calendar, and so I have. <laughs> I decided to name my dog Scout so then we could make the damn calendar. <laughs> That's pretty good. There you go. Well, I got to spend a little bit of time with Scout, and we actually worked with her. She hasn't done much waterfowl work or retrieving uh, ducks in the water, but she was getting the hang of it by the end of the hunt there yesterday. She's a solid swimmer, and I think she'll make a, a good uh, waterfowl dog. And I don't, I'm not a huge waterfowler, but she's just pretty multi-purpose, and I, I dig that. It's a, it's a cool dog. How do you think she'll do with Canada geese? I don't know. She, she didn't seem too interested in those for some reason today. <laughs> They're heavy. They're heavy. Well, that I mean, I mean, ultimately, that's that's what a guy wants. I think is is a dog that retrieve ducks and uh, and geese, and then also point birds for you, point pheasants. That's kind of the best of both worlds, Jason. That would be ideal. Yeah, yeah. If we can get that figured out, it's going to be awesome. How old is Scout? She's a year and a half. Coming so in we did, Yeah, she's, you know, I don't know. I feel like they're a little bit slower developers than, like, labs. Like, because my last dog is a lab. Uh, well, Charlie's still around, and he's an incredible hunting dog. He's a little overzealous, actually. But uh, he, uh, you know, he seemed to pick it up way faster. She's just, she's more, she kind of, I don't know if she thinks too much about it or what, but she's a different kind of dog. It's it's been a different experience for me with this dog, and uh, but a good one. I mean, I I really her pointing is awesome, and she's she's got a pretty good nose, so I think it's going to be great. Yeah, and she's just going to get better for sure. Yeah, yeah, be, for sure. Going to yeah. be, and I'm going to have to rely on when I'm hunting with you, Jason, this fall. We're going to have to rely on her because I'm not going to have a dog probably running through your grass out there this year. So we're uh, I'm just going to walk next to you. Probably It'll just be. Well, and I, I think you know I'll have two, so we should be fine. Oh yeah, there we go. I'll hunt Charlie. I like it. Yeah. So Tom, uh, you did do some grouse hunting this year in Woodcock already. Yeah, I've been I've been out a couple days. I've been really focusing on the sharp tails and trying to get those hunts in. I'm sort of addicted to the prairie and the sharp tails, as you can imagine. But I have been out a couple times uh, for roughs and woodcock. Uh, I'm hopeful right now, I mean, as we record this, there's a good cold front coming in, and uh, it's been spinny and rainy, and the, uh, the moon is getting full, so I'm really a woodcock 
aficionado too. I, I almost like wood. I do like woodcock better than rough grouse. Most people hmm. go rough grouse hunting and get a bonus woodcock. I go woodcock hunting and get a bonus rough grouse. <laughs> and, uh, I do a lot of strange, I'm, I'm a strange cat in many ways like that. And, um, I think, um, I think the woodcock might be starting to be in, but hmm. that said, um, not, not this past weekend, but two weekends. Minnesota's opener weekend, I took my son and I. We went the second day of the season. Um, you know, I usually don't do it a, a lot of grouse and woodcock hunting early, just when all those leaves are up. It's almost impossible to get a shot. And um, we saw 17 different birds on on our uh, tour in Pine County. Uh, about That was about a four-hour swing, I'd call it. And um, we didn't even really hunt... Uh, we, we did, we hunted a circuit, what I call a circuit. I knew the spot, I sort of knew the spots. And maybe sure. we were high grading it, but maybe we weren't because there's a lot of country we didn't cover. So I, in that particular corner of grouse country, there were a, a good number of grouse. I've also heard good things out of Northwest Wisconsin. Uh, very good. Uh, some pretty good things up, up toward Duluth, you know, south of Duluth in the, in the national sphere in the state forests up there. Um, I think, you know, for the most part, I think it's going to be a good grouse here. I, I think they had decent hash conditions too, of course. Their, their habitat needs are a lot different, um, but I think the conditions were pretty good. So I, bottom line, I was real encouraged for what I've seen for, for rough grouse thus far. And I'm really excited because I think um, what's going on right now with the weather is, is going to start bringing the woodcock in as well. It's still awfully early. You know, it's still only October 1st. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the next week or two, we're going to see more woodcock coming in. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see what, what, if, what, if, what, if, what if anything takes them out when. I had actually had good woodcock hunting last year up until the 4th of November mm. um, when the last ones came through, which is on the late side. But, you know... I can look back in all my hunting journals and Halloween is traditionally a pretty good time, sort of that last push of woodcock. So I think, especially now leaves coming down with this wind too, I think grouse hunters are going to have a, a banner weekend this, this week and then the next week. Uh, you know, we kind of grew up hunting rough grouse and you'd get the occasional woodcock that would roll through, but we didn't, we didn't really hunt them very much. And then I kind of moved out of grouse country and haven't hunted them very, very often, but I hunted with Matt Soberg and Hank Shaw a couple of years ago. We filmed an episode of Prairie Sportsman, and we shot mostly woodcock. In fact, I think we shot one grouse. The first bird we saw, we shot a grouse, and then it was all woodcock. And it was after hunting with Hank that I learned a little bit more about woodcock and how they're reverse birds and how the leg meat is a white meat and the breast meat is a dark meat which I thought yeah. was, was pretty interesting. And so you, you prefer hunting woodcock over rough grouse or eating woodcock over rough grouse? I, I guess, you, well, I'll start with woodcock are very good eating if sure. you cook them the right way. And I'm sure you learned some from Hank about that. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're red meat, you know, you hit it on the, on the head. Their, their breast meat is dark because they migrate thousands a thousand fifteen hundred miles back and forth like waterfowl they need, that, they need yeah. that yes like waterfowl they need that red muscle and by the way sharp tails as we know are the same way mm -hmm. you know the, their legs are white meats and their their breasts are dark and and um but woodcock i i think are great to eat now would i would i prefer a woodcock <laughs> over rough grouse no that's pretty um, tough 
but I can tell you what I prefer over everything. But with Woodcock, I, I fillet off their breasts and I'll, I'll sear them in a little olive oil and garlic, just a medium rare and the most. You can, if you overcook them, they taste like liver. If you cook them like a piece of fine steak, which is what they are, they're great. Um, but yeah, rough, rough grouse are unbelievably good. I, I tell you what I'd eat over everything else. And I got a couple of them in North Dakota were Hungarian partridge. Oh, Huns, yeah. Which are just like, they're really just big quail is all they are. They're, they're just mm-hmm. quail. They're, and they're just maybe 30% bigger than a Bob White. They're, they're best of all, but roughs are close. Um, I, I love eating all of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't pass up a rough grouse. Yeah. <laughs> I, the reason I like woodcock is they're so fun for a little pointing dog. And, yeah. and Jason, you should know that too. If you've never hunted woodcock, they're wonderful for a pointing dog because they sit. They don't. They'll walk a little. They'll move a little bit. But for the most part, that that dog comes up and points a woodcock, and you know there's a bird there. Yeah, I, I've I've been woodcock hunting once in northern Michigan, and I just remember them taking off like fireworks. They just shoot straight <laughs> up. <laughs> It's like and you're in the densest cover, but it's super yep. fun. And if you don't have a pointing dog, you're out of luck, I think. Yeah. It, it's, it's really always, fun. It's always fun when, that, when a woodcock, for that matter, or a grouse is pointed. How do you go at them? Do you just... Do you come around the dog and come toward the dog? Do you come in from the side? You know, you always got to strategize. It, and it's not that different from pheasant hunting, but how am I going to come in so I can make sure I get a shot? And what's out there that's going to prevent me from getting a shot? And it, it's definitely, like you said, with woodcock you, and, and with rough grouse, you, you, have, you have to think about that. How am I going to approach this point? The thing with rough grouse is... Um, they're walkers like pheasants and sharptails. They'll just walk off. I mean, my dog will have to follow them for 100 yards sometimes because they'll just walk along, peeping along. And, uh, you know, they're not easy to – rough grouse are not easy for a pointing dog to point. The, the trick with a pointing dog with rough grouse, they have to learn it on their own, is you point as soon as you smell a bird. They have to point and stop. And that's traditionally why I sort of – I will probably be done hunting rough grouse after this week and any outings I can get next week. Because once I start in on pheasants, that dog is attuned to pheasants. And we all know what pheasants are like. They're, they're brash, they're track stars, they're going to run. And, and you got to be, a, you gotta be as a pointing dog, you have to be a little pushy to hunt pheasants or else they'll just, you know, you'll never get on one. And, um, you can't you have to be they have to be almost the opposite with rough grouse so once we start in on pheasants it's pheasants all the time big surprise huh brett <laughs> <laughs> i love it man I, I i love hunting pheasants you know we grew up with with grouse rough grouse and then uh i started getting into more pheasants moved to western minnesota got into fe- well i take that back moved to north dakota and got into pheasant hunting quite a bit. In fact, we started bringing uh, my family out and we'd hunt uh, pheasants in North Dakota and do these these annual trips every year. And none of those guys had really hunted pheasants much. And I remember we shot our first sharp tails and none of us had ever shot a sharp tail before, Tom. And when you talked about the, the, the color of the breast meat, so we're cleaning them that night and we got some pheasants and we pull out the sharp tails and we're opening up the sharpies and we're like, gosh, did these birds go bad? I mean, how, how hot is it right now? Because we we're, we were, you know, used to opening up a rough grouse. 
and here yeah. the the color is completely different, but uh, still delicious. Any you know, all of those all those birds are so good. You just have to kind of know what you do it do it the right way and process it the right way and take care of the meat yeah. and then cook it the right way. And uh, eating this stuff, I mean, Jason, what we ate the last couple of days. I'm so excited. This is my favorite time of year, not just for hunting, uh, but for the the meals that we have. What did we we ate? Goose, that goose that you shot. We crockpotted, ate some goose legs, which are quickly becoming my favorite wild game. And the breast meat was really good too. And uh, and then you made some kind of soup with a lot of stuff in it. We were gonna do a jambalaya, but that seemed too complicated. So we took a like a tortilla soup and added we had shrimp in there but then we had two pheasants and we had um some deer sausage from last year so that was pretty cool that was a good meal we ate well and some we always eat well (laughs) we do some walleye chop we never we never well we drank a lot of beer (laughs) but you didn't you actually put some walleye chop into that soup mix too i did yeah, yeah i did yeah i put beer in everything i mean why not it was good. So, I don't know. I'm a, it's not I, my cereal. That's probably, yeah. Maybe maybe the best way to start your day is not with a cereal full of beer. I'm just throwing that out there. No. 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 Well, it's uh, my favorite time of the year, and now it's game on for everything. It's going to be uh, a struggle because the bow hunting is going to start getting good right now, too, as we get uh, later into the month of October. And I definitely want to do some some grouse trips, but... Man, it's going to be tough once pheasant season opens. It's hard to get me out of the grass, except for uh, for maybe a pile of mallards or a good good Canada goose hunt. But um, Jason, we should we should. I had a couple of people ask me about finding walleye chop. If people want to find out more about your beer or or where to get it, what should they do? It's been a really weird year for us. Um, I the bet. Only place you can really find it right now is at the brewer, at the brewery. Okay. Um, I I. I told everybody this is this has turned into my gap year. All I do now is uh, take my kids motocross racing and I hunt and fish. That's all. I mean, I, we haven't been working very hard because there's just no business for uh, the lowly beer guy right now. But um, things are picking up now a little bit. Some restaurants and bars getting opened up. Uh, the tap room's been doing all right, so things are going better. So I'm excited about the fall here with the influx of hunters into Hendrix uh, coming into the tap room, spend a little bit of money in our place. So well, it's, and it, good. it's a cool location inside the old creamery, uh, historic creamery there in Hendrix on the corner. People, if you're in, in that area, stop in and uh, grab yourself uh, a beer. It's good stuff. And uh, Tom, uh, what's coming up with Pheasants Forever? I know no no banquets in sight still, I'm sure. Are they starting to plan some stuff like that? Or what, what uh, maybe some uh, land acquisitions? Or what's going on with PF and, and what's coming up in the next issue? Well, a couple things. Um, fall issue is, is going to mail starting on Monday. So people should start looking for their fall issue. Uh, and we, put, we did a few posts on it. So start looking for that probably in, in a week to two weeks. I don't, I don't know what the mail is going to be doing uh, timing wise, but it will start to mail on Monday. And, and it's a pretty cool issue. A big uh, one of the big feet. I have a there's a lot of good there's a lot of good material in there. One thing I'm excited about is I have an article called since we're talking a lot of pheasant hunting called 11 mistakes pheasant hunters make. <laughs> 
And uh, last year I had 11 strategy or uh, 11 strategies for public land hunting. And uh, this year it's going to be 11 mistakes pheasant hunters make. And we're going to do a podcast too. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, banquet front has been tough. You know, our banquets, uh, you know, March and April is our big banquet season. And that's right when COVID hit and everything was really strapped down. Um, and banquets got canceled. Some have been tried. Some have been rescheduled for fall. It, it'll be remain to be seen how they happen. We did have one interesting, the, the Dubuque land chapter in Dubuque, Iowa, uh, did a virtual banquet, a drive-through mm-hmm. banquet, and then did some online auctions, and, and they did very well doing it. So that's sort of a template we could use. Uh, acquisitions and the, the habitat mission is always going on. You know, that, that hasn't missed many beats. I mean, Peasants Forever, uh, every organization for profit, nonprofit is having challenges. Um, but we're focused on the Habitat mission, and Habitat is happening. Um, our our bi- Farm Bill biologists are out doing all the work. Um, the, the Farm Bill was very strong. We're going to start seeing next spring uh, a lot of this increase. We saw a 3 million acre increase in the, in the CRP for the Farm Bill. Is going to start happening. That that ground is going to start seeing seed coming in, and and, and it's going to turn into pheasant cover. Well, I should say upland wildlife cover for all upland wildlife. Uh, as anybody who knows me knows, I'm as big a proponent of of honeybees and monarch butterflies as I am pheasants. Uh, and and then I'd add on to that bobolinks and longspurs and meadowlarks and all and goldfinches and all the other all the other great songbirds that 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 occupy that upland uh so i'd say you know support your pheasants support pheasants forever if you if you hunt in minnesota you hunt public lands in minnesota you should belong to pheasants forever i I don't and i don't care where you hunt pheasants i one of the one of the statistics i always uh pass along is since and this is just one aspect of pheasants forever since inception pheasants forever has turned 200 over 201,000 acres into public land that's permanently public for you me everybody to hunt and recreate on uh, that's key recreate on forever and this isn't prime farm ground this is these are the lands and the places that are on the edge they're on the margins they're the types of places that that don't take away from ag- agricultural production but contribute to wildlife to water quality and a quality of life with with all these public lands. And, and so join Pheasants Forever, increase your support. And I, I give you one description is, if you take those 201,000 acres and convert them into square miles, it's about 342 square miles. If you walk the perimeter of each of those square miles, that's about 1,300 miles. That's the difference from the Peace Garden uh, crossover in North Dakota to Canada to Grandview, Texas. Wow! And that, and you've only walked the edges of each square mile. You have not explored any of the insides of those square miles. So that's what you get when you join Pheasants Forever. Hey, I want to ask you one more thing here before we go, um, because I'm trying to remember where I heard this, but it seems like recently there's been um, an effort to, when you talk about that marginal land, uh, there's been an effort to maybe target some smaller areas or some strip type land for some conservation type uh, type programs versus maybe big blocks. I mean, obviously big blocks are great, but where you can get little 
uh, bits and pieces here and there. Is and has there been more of an effort to try to turn that into more habitat for wildlife? Yeah, and I think you know we all know pheasants can live on a pretty small area, so that's always a good target. I guess the other thing is connect connections are big. Right. It's important for uh, for for for, it, for all this land is to have connections and to, have, to get a complex going and and sometimes a little 10 20 acre parcel can tie two big ones together and instead of uh you know me having 160 to hunt and then having to get in my car and go to and hunt another 160 you can tie them together with 20 and have 340 acres and turn that into wildlife habitat too that, that connects them so so that that's yes part of the reason and they're there's a, there's a lot of efforts across organizations now to make those connections, to make that those habitat connections. Very good. Well, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a, a huge opener for people, uh, obviously, depending on what Mother Nature throws our way. But I think it's going to be a great fall. Uh, gentlemen, I look forward to uh, hearing about your exploits, maybe spending some time. Tom, we got to get in the, in the grass and walk again. And maybe you can, maybe the three of us can go out hunting at some point here this fall and, uh, and uh, hunt, hunt over some of these new and tiny, tiny dogs that uh, we've all got. So... Uh, Jason Marklet, Tom Carpenter, I appreciate the time on the show today. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. Looking for fall adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. As we all navigate through the tough times of 2020, finding new ways to enjoy summer has become a way of life. If you're searching for the perfect getaway this summer, look no further than the walleye capital of the world, Lake of the Woods. Fish the Rainy River, Big Traverse Bay, and don't forget you can still experience the uniqueness of the Northwest Angle. For your best chance to catch big fish, go where the big fish are, Lake of the Woods. Plan your trip at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. If Trophy Lake Trout and Monster Northern Pike are on your list this summer, book a trip to Tazan Lake Lodge in northwestern Saskatchewan. Everything from numbers to big fish. See pictures, videos, and more at tazanlake.com. This is quite the fishery. Our five-star chef will feed you well after a day of chasing giants on Tazan Lake. Dream come true. Get rates, dates, and more of what you can expect. It could be the best fish you've ever had in your life. At tazanlake.com. That's tazanlake.com. Tazan Lake Lodge is a proud partner of Tourism Saskatchewan.